One of the things that I love about, I always want to say about being a pastor, but it's really just about Christian living, is I love seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Right? There's, there's nothing, amen is right, that's right. There's nothing that thrills me more than to see someone come to faith in Jesus Christ, to watch their eyes light up when people begin talking about the good news or what we call the gospel of Jesus. I love seeing new believers yearn to soak in the truth of God's word in the Bible. I love seeing new believers recognize I'm part of a family now. Now, some have grown up and have a healthy family and been part of a a good, healthy family, most if not all of your lives. Many have not experienced the same. Uh, And and so that opportunity, that newness of being a part of of a healthy family made up of other families is just a thrill and a new blessing for them something they've never experienced before. Some have been a part of a relatively relatively healthy family, maybe even a very healthy family. But they begin to figure out that, oh, my earthly family are not all believers. In other words, they're not Christians. They haven't come to saving faith like I have. So now they're beginning to look at family a little bit differently as they think about the church And they begin learning about how all that begins to fit together. That's a different kind of of blessing where they still love their unsaved family members. But they find that in some ways, being a part of the family of God begins to supersede the longevity, maybe, or certainly the eternality of their earthly family. Right. It's not like we as Christians say, oh, we're better than your earthly family. Come chill with us. It's not that. But we begin to see that there are different priorities. Sometimes those different priorities bring uh, conflict in earthly relationships. And so there's a there's this sort of scratching of the head with, well, well, now I'm I'm part of a a heavenly family and now I'm finding I have some different priorities than some in my earthly family. Well, how do I sort through this? We begin to work through what that looks like together. Right. There's something about the zeal of new believers that us long-term believers, long-time believers, maybe even just a few years into being Christians, need to learn from. In other words, you know, uh, when, when, you, when you start a new sport, you just can't get out there and practice enough. You love it, right? You love getting out there and throwing the ball or swinging the club or, well, maybe not that, but uh, other kinds of sports where you begin to, you love just repeating the same actions over and over again because It's new to you and you want to grow in it. You want to get better at it. And really in anything, whether it's a sport or whether it's a relationship, that that zeal that we find at first, we should really never get over. Amen is right. But sometimes, sometimes those of us who've been Christians for any number of years, those who who start to experience like, oh, I love this new family, this eternal heavenly family, uh, but they, they hurt me too. And, and I hurt them too. So while it's good and eternal and long lasting, it's not perfect. Like maybe I thought at first that it was, right? So sometimes zeal lacks accuracy or there's a zeal, but the knowledge can be a little bit off at times. Right. And so those of us who've been believers longer have the privilege of coming alongside of those who have this zeal and helping steer and shape them in their newfound faith in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we count that a tremendous privilege. I told our uh, Sunday core class, our equipped class uh, this morning, that one of the things that I love is serving with a group of really stubborn elders. Right. And so Kurt was in that class and Everybody kind of looked back and be like, I wonder how he's going to respond to this, you know? And he was kind of like, yeah, I know I'm stubborn. No, he didn't. Uh, we're stubborn because Ephesians gives pastor, shepherd, elders a pretty clear job description uh, to strive to build up the church so that the church becomes m- mature, so that, so that every member of the body of Christ that we're responsible for and that's, has, has, that worships with us 
grows into maturity. Not perfection, maturity. And so we're pretty pretty stubborn about that, that we think is, is a godly stubbornness. Now, we don't carry it out right all the time, but that's our aim, is to be really, really stubborn that. And we love it. We enjoy it. We enjoy those conversations. We want more and more of you to enjoy those kinds of conversations, taking somebody that's uh, not as far along as you are. That's not proud, arrogant. No, it's just a recognition. I've done this thing a little bit longer, and I've learned how to lean into God's grace. I've learned how to repent when I fail. I've learned how to come alongside of others. I've learned how to confess my sin. Don't always do it right, but I've learned how and that I'm supposed to and that there's joy. My joy is restored as I do that. So I want to help them understand what that looks like. At the same time, I want somebody that's ahead of me to be pulling me along as well. Right? I want to initiate a relationship with somebody and say, hey, I want to drag on your uh, ride on your coattails. Nah, that's probably the wrong expression, but I want you to help me grow to be more like how you're following Christ. Or help me follow Christ more like you do. There's this, I want to be in the middle. Someone that's, that's, that's behind me that I'm encouraging, maybe younger in the faith, but it has nothing to do with age always, that I'm pulling along in the faith, discipling. That gets a little like, ah, discipling sounds so formal and official. I don't think I can do that. But you can coach somebody. You can come alongside of somebody. You can help somebody. At the same time, I've got somebody else that I've said, hey, keep, keep track of me. Help me keep walking forward in the faith. That's, I believe that that is truly the place of joy in the Christian life. Somebody that's pulling you along in the faith and you're pulling somebody else along in the faith. You can take issue with my words or my analogies. That's all fine. But that's where we find joy in the Christian faith. Always growing, always zealous and growing in our knowledge and application of the truth. There's a challenge when those of us who have been a Christian for any length of time are a little, oh, irritated by the zeal of a new believer. Oh, they'll settle down one day. I hope they never settle down. And we roll our eyes at them. Oh, they're just, it's just because it's new. What an indictment on us. Now I realize there's, there's a re, some of a reality to that. But to say, oh, that, that excitement for the Lord is just because it's new. Oh, may it never be, friends. May it never be. Through good times, through hard times, may we always love and continually grow in learning what it means to to till the soil of our souls by focusing on things that are above. Right? Anyone who, who, who gardens understands that you can take the same seed, you can plant it in four different soils, you can get four different results, Right? I want to ask you, how eager are you for tending the soil of your soul? Have you gotten to a point where you say, ah, this garden's grown up enough. I'm good with what it produces or the kind of fruit that it produces, the kind of vegetables that I see in the garden. Or do you continually want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit according to the word of God and in the context of biblical community? biblical relationships to grow in cultivating the soil of your heart. So we're talking about the Sabbath and we're talking about rest. And as Jesus has fulfilled the Bible's old Testament description of what the Sabbath is. In other words, well, I'll get into that in just a second. In other words, Jesus came and and fulfilled all of the law and he superseded it. In other words, The Sabbath points forward to Jesus. Jesus came and the Sabbath is no longer uh, setting aside the sixth day of the week, the last day of the week or seventh day of the week as a day to uh, as a day where no work is allowed to be a little bit more specific. Right. It's no longer a law in that sense. Now we have what we call the Lord's Day. Now, you might not have ever thought of it. I just thought it was Sunday. Well, historically, people have grown to call Sunday the Lord's Day. But does the Lord's Day bear the same kind of, of, of legal or law weight, if you will, as the Sabbath did? Right? I believe no. But that also doesn't mean it doesn't matter. So what we're looking at, and I'll tell you one of my challenges as uh, one preaching through this series is... There's not one passage of scripture 
that explains it all. In other words, we're, we're seeing the purpose of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Okay? A day of rest. Before sin was ever on the scene. We're seeing the purpose there. And we're seeing that, you know, our, our aim as Christians ought to be to live to God's glory. Would you agree with that? We had a desire to live for God's glory. That means we ought to want to, we, we, we ought to want to <laughs> work to God's glory. And we ought to want to rest to God's glory. And so what we're saying is, we believe that God has communicated what his people need to know in the word of God to be able to understand this in the right kind of way. Now, as we wrap up this series today, I want to encourage you to think about a few different things. As you hear this message today, and maybe over the last several weeks, do you have a particular thought or truth? And I'll go another distance to say truth that is clearly revealed in the scripture. Okay. Is there a truth that you're sort of wanting to run away from? You know, it's like, oh, we keep talking, we keep dancing around this certain topic or, or maybe stepping right on it. And, uh, and it's like uh, two, uh, you know, the same ends of a magnet, right? You just can't ever get them to connect. You know, I remember being a kid, right? Kids, you ever take two magnets on a tabletop or on the floor and you push them around? You're like, I'm going to catch you. You can't, right? You can't unless you take the two ends and you push them tightly together. And then, the, and then your pressure has to be stronger than, than the pull of the magnet right? The moment you let go of one of them, it's, it, depending on the strength of the magnet, it's going to kind of shoot away. Sometimes there are certain things we talk about in our relationship with the Lord. And as soon as it's mentioned, as soon as it's mentioned, we're, we're pushing, we're walking away from it. Oh, it comes up in a different context over here. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing away from it. I want to ask you to identify what that is in your life as it relates to this particular topic. Because we're talking about the importance of biblically patterned rest. And it ought to be enough for us to say, God said it because God rested on the seventh day after he worked. I, I want to I take a pattern of rest. I want to identify a pattern of rest in my life. Why? Well, it was good enough for God and God told us to do it. It should be issue settled right there. But we have other things that we, we love, other things that we pursue, maybe even good things that we pursue to the wrong degree. And herein lies at least one of the problems. So God rested on the seventh day, Saturday, as we would know it according to our calendar. God rested on the, on the Sabbath before sin ever entered the world. Then Adam and Eve come along and they sin. And, and there's a whole lot that we've talked about over the last few weeks. But now in Deuteronomy, we see Deuteronomy chapter 5. We see that God gives a pattern of rest to remember God's work of creation. And for the Israelites to remember their deliverance from Egypt, from being in bondage. Okay. And so then throughout the Old Testament, we see this development of Sabbath regulations. That's why if you, if you look at a variety of different Old Testament texts on the Sabbath, you're going to see different things highlighted. And we could actually spend several months easily looking at a full Old Testament theology of the Sabbath. And then the pivot in the Gospels and then a New Testament theology of Sabbath and the Lord's Day in the New Testament. We're catching the Cliff's Notes versions, if you will. Um, so we see this development of Sabbath regulations, which is why you'll see different things highlighted. But then in the Gospels, Jesus is still under the Mosaic Law, which is, remember, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Israelites but we call the Ten Commandments and, the, and whatever flowed from that, the Mosaic Law. Okay, all of the rules and the regulations that would be summed up in the Ten Commandments. Jesus came and he fulfilled the Mosaic Law perfectly. Every part of it. 
And he even took it further. Okay? So Jesus didn't set aside the, the valid authority of the Old Testament law. He fulfilled it and he, if you will, reinterpreted it to help New Covenant, New Testament believers understand what God was really saying all along. In other words, thou shalt not murder is reinterpreted to mean you shouldn't have ungodly anger or hatred in your heart toward another person or in effect you've murdered them in your heart. And the list goes on and on and on. And Jesus begins to uh, lay out what that is like. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says things like, and this isn't all the Gospels, I'm just picking Matthew here. He, he begins to say like, well, you've heard that it was said, right? And it's about anger or about lust or about oaths or retaliation or loving your enemies. And then he says, but I say, or it was also said, and then he gives the authority of his words, but I say to you. Right? So here's one example. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. For whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool or raka, your translation might say, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, as we stitch that together with other aspects of the Bible, we see that there is godly anger or righteous anger about things we ought to be angry about. In other words, if God is angry about it, I ought to be angry about it. And I ought to strive to be angry about it in the same way that God is angry about it. Right? But also, in my anger, I'm not to sin. In other words, God can be angry and act a certain way, but I'm not God. And so in my response to things where I'm angry, I shouldn't sin. Tom Schreiner is a New Testament scholar. Um, and he says, Jesus corrected misinterpretations of the Mosaic law, explaining as the sovereign and final interpreter of the law, how it relates to the hearers of his day. In other words, Jesus explicated or expounded on or explained the true meaning of the law and corrected erroneous interpretations. In other words, he said, this is the explanation. Y'all think this, but let me correct it. Come over here. This is what's true. So Jesus gave the final word. One of those aspects was the Sabbath day. Jesus helps us more fully understand what is required as it relates to rest. Both Jesus and other New Testament writers show that Rest actually has more to do with a person's relationship with Christ or with the Father through Christ than it does a particular day of the week. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus, he finishes his saving work by living perfectly, not ever doing anything wrong and doing everything right. And he gave his life on Calvary for us. And, and, and then he died and then he was raised again from the dead. And his resurrection becomes the, 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 the first day of the week or the point from which we begin to worship on Sunday. So Sunday, the first day of the week, becomes this point where we gather together. Okay? Now, we could go an extra step, and some have, to say, well, Sunday then is the new Sabbath. But I don't think that's correct either. Okay, because Jesus makes it clear that it's not about uh, the foods that you eat. It's not about the day that you worship. But whatever we're doing, we ought to do it to the glory of God. Now, as I said earlier, that also doesn't mean that Sunday doesn't matter. Like, Pastor Matt, you're really confusing here. Would you just tell me what I'm supposed to do? Only where the Bible does. In other words, if the Bible does not say you must gather on Sunday to worship, I'm not going to say it. But the Bible does say you must gather to worship. 
And so wherever you've joined yourself to, wherever you've hitched your trailer to, to worship, worships on Sunday or on Saturday, you ought to be there to worship with the body of Christ when they choose to worship. Now, we can make arguments, and pastor and teacher and scholar John MacArthur makes a very strong argument for the Lord's Day on Sunday. Right? I'm going to read a quote from him in a minute here, but first... Thinking about the Sabbath, one more step, and then we're going to continue on. So what you're going to see this morning is a pretty long summary of where we've been, and then a couple of applications for us at the end. Okay? He talks about the fact that the Sabbath, the writer of Hebrews, is pulling all these strings together. And he talks about how the Sabbath was a shadow, as Paul said, of the substance that is now ours in Christ. So the role of the Sabbath was uh, that it was a shadow is explained most clearly in Hebrews. Okay. Um, the, the, the idea of the Sabbath is to foreshadow or to point forward to the eternal rest that Christians have in Christ. Okay. That's why we spent a couple of weeks um, reading through portions of Hebrews. And that's part of the reason for that. Right. So as I said a few minutes ago, does it follow that Sabbath is just a new, I'm sorry, that Sunday is, uh, or the Lord's Day is just a new Sabbath? Well, no, not really. And certainly not directly. Right? Listen to Colossians 2, 16 through 19. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, therefore, insisting on asceticism or the idea of self-harm, which some believed equaled godliness, or worship of angels, or going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, which grows with the growth that is from God. So we're to hold fast to the head of the church, which is Jesus, right? Because the church is often pictured with the metaphor of a body. So in other words, let no one pass judgment on you regarding what particular day you choose to worship on, although church history and some other arguments can be made strongly that Sunday is the best day to do that. And yet, without a clear command in the New Testament for that, we want to be cautious in what we say. So here's how John MacArthur explains, and I think this is helpful. This is part of, he preaches several sermons on this. And I think uh, this paragraph I found uh, to be really, really helpful. He says, every seventh day that passes should stand as a testimony to the creator every Saturday. Remember I said in the Old Testament, God rested on the seventh day to remember and acknowledge or elevate a day of rest after he created. And then in Deuteronomy, when, when the Sabbath is restated, it's stated for two purposes. Remember the Lord's creation and remember that God delivered you. Right? Now, again, that's only a small piece of the equation. So then he goes on. America, the Western world in the Western world with its Christian influences worked toward a five day work week. And part of that uh, history was the underlying sense that Saturday was a day to enjoy the creation. Saturday is a perpetual witness to God as creator. And Sunday, on the other hand, is a perpetual witness to God as redeemer. So in one sense, very strongly flowing out of what God says in Deuteronomy five, John MacArthur makes a very compelling case for this Saturday and Sunday rhythm. What I want to highlight is a couple of aspects that I think will help us think through this together. Number one, this is not about the day of the week for us. It's not about the day of the week. Biblically, it's, it's, it's not about the day of the week. There are reasons we come together and we worship on Sunday. But none of them are given as a command. 
What we see are descriptions. And when you gather on the first day of the week, because that was their custom, they began gathering on the first day of the week. The main idea would be when you gather to bring together money for those who are in need. When you gather to to do what the church does when the church gathers together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 would say, be there. Do not forsake the gathering of believers, but consider how you might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And that's where I want to focus as we look at some other passages, even in the next uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. Okay, this is one of those sermons where uh, there's a long introduction and then we get to the get to the main ideas pretty quickly. Okay, I already said the main idea that we want to tend to the soil of your soul, right? By focusing on things that are above, right? So tending to the soil of your soul. If you garden, I said it earlier, but if you garden, you know that you can take the same seed and you can place it in several different soils, two, three, four different soils, and you're, you, you might get very different results from each soil depending on the health of the soil. And so the soil needs to be prepared for the seed. So Jesus tells this parable of the sower with different soils or feeds, fields that represent different people. In Matthew 13, 1 through 9, he talks about this. And then in verses 18 through 23, he explains this. The apostle Paul talks about Paul and Apollos. He says, I planted, Apollos watered. God gave the increase. For we are God's fellow workers and you people are God's field. Isaiah 55 gives this explanation for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven uh, and do not return, but, but water return there, but water the earth, making it. In other words, this is God's truth. God's word making. Making the the earth bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it accomplishes that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So then the question for us becomes this. If the problem is not the seed, because the seed is God's word and God's message and God's truth with the power of God to accomplish everything that God purposes for it to be that salvation, be that judgment, be that encouragement, be that conviction. How is the soil of your soul? You see, my argument through all of this would be less about the day and more about a zeal or a, an earnestness or a, a, a desire, a strong desire to tend to the soil of our soul so that our life produces godly fruit. In other words, there can be a temptation to become spiritually lazy. Now, That might offend some of you because I'm in a room of hard workers. I know you. You work hard. Is it possible to say that at times we work hard? Maybe on some of the wrong aspects of life. Because we're focusing so much on Temporal things. Now, temporal things do not necessarily mean ungodly things. We work. God gives us the opportunity to work, to provide for our families, to provide for ourselves. Work is good. God made us to work. When Adam and Eve sinned, work was still commanded, but it was good before the fall, and it was good and without hardship. After the fall, now the earth is going to push back a little bit because God cursed the ground as he disciplined Adam and Eve. So now work is harder. We, we sweat more when we work. And so the challenge is, are we working hard beyond what God has called us to because we're pursuing other idols? Maybe you work really hard because you're seeking the promotion for the wrong reason. 
Now, this is a challenging message because it's not wrong to seek a promotion. It's all about the motives. In other words, if we talk about money, it doesn't matter matter how much money God has chosen to give you or not to give you. Being rich, being poor, neither one equates godliness. In fact, neither one, neither one contributes one iota, one grain of sand toward being godly. In fact, Jesus would say the opposite. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Oh, so much to enjoy. So much to be able to go and do. This morning, we're talking all about motive. Why do you desire to come to church each and every Sunday? There, I said it. Each and every Sunday when we gather, we ought to strive to be here. Now, am I contradicting all I've said? No. No, I said it's not mainly about the day, but we as a church here gather on Sunday morning on the Lord's day. So we ought to come each and every time, each and every Sunday to be here to worship with God's people. Now, does that mean there are days that you can miss? Sure, because we're not trying to fulfill a law. You see? We're not trying to check a law of religion. The question becomes about our motive. Why are we here each and every time the church gathers to worship the Lord? Conversely, why are we not here? Are we pursuing other cares of the world or other delights of the world that take us away from focusing our eyes on things that are unseen? That's why the Apostle Paul said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is unseen is eternal. There's a danger of being spiritually lazy. We can be hard workers and yet not give much attention to our souls. I know people come, they've got to miss occasionally or, or whether or not you might say they have to miss or they choose to miss occasionally or whatever the phrase might be. I'm less interested about that phrase right now. But I know in relationship with them, they're tending to the soil of their soul. Say that 10 times fast. They're tending to the soil of their soul throughout the week. I want to ask you, are you tending to the soil of your soul? I'm more interested in that than the day of the week. I'm more interested in that than whether if you're here uh, 10 times a year, 35 times a year. Which is about the average which means you have people here way here way more than 35 times a year. People here are way less than 35 times a year, right? But we, don't, we don't keep a scorecard so that we can figure out who loves the Lord more than another person. What we're trying to say is, when we're here, why are you here? And I'm just going to confess. I can become proud or self-righteous that I'm here more than most of you. You're like, well, it's your job. (laughs) Which is why I can become self-righteous. It's pretty easy for me to look down my nose at people. Thankfully, God is merciful to convict me almost immediately, every single time, and correct my perspective. (laughs) You might not be on staff at a church, but you might be here 48 weeks of the year. Do you feel a sense of pride that you're here more than other people? The Lord would convict you of that. And warn you of that pride. Are you here 30 times a year and you get irritated with people who talk about being at church regularly? Ooh. The Lord would convict you of that pride. How dare they tell me how I'm supposed to live? Now, I've said all of these things, and here's where we want to land the plane. I'll tell you why. I said this could easily be a several-month series. 
it actually could be about a year, and we would not cover all the passages that relate to it. And we would not discuss all of the important inroads and off-roads that deal with this topic of rest. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 leads us to think about the danger of laziness, but more importantly, spiritual laziness. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns and the ground was covered with nettles. That's those, those little cute, soft looking green leaves that bite when you touch them, right? You don't always know, but you see them. You're like, well, you don't touch that. It looks good, but it's going to sting. Maybe that was a little dramatic. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall broken down. And then I saw, and I considered it. He saw the state of the field. Are you seeing the soil of your soul? With God's perfect perspective. I saw it. I considered it. I looked. And I received instruction. A little sleep. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want. Like an armed man. I have several passages in Hebrews 6 that I want to just read and make a couple comments on as we, as we wrap up our time. But here's what I want you to understand. The writer of Hebrews says, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it. Remember, the Lord brings down his wisdom, the word of God, which lands on the soil. And it produces a crop useful to those for, who it is, for whose sake it is cultivated. Receives a blessing from God, but if he bear, but if it bears thorns and thistles and nettles, it's worthless and it's near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. So these herbs parallel the rain in Isaiah 55 and the field in verse eight bears thorns and briars and it's rejected, it's burned and it, it gives a parallel to a lazy man's life overgrown with thorns and nettles. And so then the writer continues and he says, he's, though we speak in this way, in your case, beloved, so he's writing to Christians, largely Christians. In your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to your salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So he's, he's assuming, I've, I've seen evidence of your relationship with the Lord, the, the salvation work that God has produced in you and the fruit that flows from it. I've seen evidence of this and I'm, I'm thankful for it. And then he says in verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. In other words, he's writing to a group of people. Many, if not most, have shown evidence of salvation. And at one time they were cultivating, they were, they were tilling, they were taking care of the soil of their soul. But we can't, we can't rest on previous spiritual growth. There's an, there's an ongoing zealousness that we need. So that we don't become sluggish. His desire is the, to have full assurance of hope until the end. That means until the day we go home to glory, we keep on keeping on after Jesus. We keep on desiring to, to walk with him, to grow in our, our walk with him, to tend to the soil of our soul. I read Colossians 2 earlier, but if you look forward just a, a few verses to Colossians 3, 1 through 4, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now he's writing to Christians, so this is rhetorical. If then you've been raised with Christ, which I believe you have, seek the things that are above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. That is a a past tense activity that has taken place that has an ongoing enduring impact. You have died with Christ, meaning you are still dead in Christ or alive in Christ. Let me rephrase. Since you have died with Christ, you are alive in him. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, why why this layout for this particular point for today? I think after five minutes or an hour of conversation about the Sabbath and about rest, it would be a different sermon for most of us in this room. In other words, some of you are here every Sunday or almost every Sunday, save a a holiday or a snow day or uh, a ball game you go to see for your grandkids or your kids or whatever the case might be. You're here almost every time, if not every time the doors are open. But you might not be connected in other Christian relationships that are intending to help you grow. What we call here is community, where we're working together to tend to the soil of our hearts. So you may be here every Sunday and you may enjoy being here every Sunday. You may be worshiping the Lord here on Sunday mornings when we gather and praise the Lord. I'm thankful for that. But outside of Sunday morning here, are you tending to the soil of your soul with the word of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of community? To you, I would say, I'm glad you're here every Sunday. What about Sunday afternoon through Saturday night? How are you tending to the soil of your soul? How are you striving to grow in Christ? Well, I'm doing okay. Well, nobody's doing okay. You can't just rest on your laurels of of past growth in Christ. No, we need to maintain the same eagerness of hope until the end, which is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Maybe you're connected in other relationships throughout the week. And Sunday is, eh, if you can make it, okay. But maybe other things spring up that maybe you attend or commit to for the wrong reasons. I'm using the word maybe because I don't know your heart. But what I would ask you is, is Sunday morning worship with the body of Christ on par with everything else. And it just kind of depends on your schedule. Or does the Lord's day look different for you and your commitments look different because you're a child of God and because you're tending not only to the soil of your soul, but the soil of the souls of your spouse or your children or or those that God has given you responsibility for. Let's consider some other diagnostic questions. Do people or circumstances trigger a disproportionate response or overreaction to you? We were sitting at home last night and uh, uh, I I typically try not to call out my kids from the podium, but they were both guilty of it and it wasn't over the top, so it's all good. But they were both kind of arguing with Sherilyn. And my response to them was over the top. It was disproportionate. And I was like, why did I respond that way? Cheryl and I had a conversation about it. Boys had already gone to bed. I went down, I sat on their bed. I get emotional about it because I know the impact that a, an anger response can have, depending on whatever the tone is. Sometimes, sometimes it's just a look, a countenance. So I sat on their bed and I said, "Hey, listen, I need to talk to you. Like, make it quick because I'm going to sleep." And I said, "Hey, you know what you did a little while ago with mom was not it was not right. It was wrong and it was sinful." My response to you was over the top. 
and I am sorry. I don't ever want to talk to you like that. Would you please forgive me? I said, yeah, if you'll leave now. (laughs) And I said, thank you. And then I closed that bedroom door and I went to the other bedroom door and I sat on the bed and I said, hey, same thing. I said, I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me? Yeah, of course. Okay, thank you. I would ask you, do you have enough rest in your life that you're able to tend to the soil of your soul and consider whether your responses, your expectations of others are biblical? And if they're biblical, are they biblical to the right degree? Maybe you have such a a high estimation of perfection or striving for excellence in your own life. When you fail, you get upset with yourself, but you also get upset with others when they fail. Do you lack biblical freedom in your relationships with others? Are you tending to the soil of your soul in such a way that seeking things that are above, the Lord helps you discern? Maybe you're putting too much into a relationship. Maybe you're allowing another person to control you too much in a relationship. We need a break. We need to pull back from life and with God in his word and the, honestly, the context of biblical community, be able to sort through these things, right? Do you wish you'd be more honest and open with others? Well, maybe it's because you, you're not tending to the soil of your soul to understand that you really are resting in Christ and Christ alone. There is nothing that you can do to make God happier with you or love you more. And there is nothing that you can do to remove the love of God, which he placed on you through Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. We owe nothing except to him, to love him and to to strive for Christ-likeness with him. Are you constantly tired no matter how much sleep you get? Well, why does that matter? Well, because we all have the same number of hours in the day, week, and month. You know, maybe you're on a sh- on a, on a swing schedule where your, your schedule means that you, you know, maybe this week you've got more time with uh, at work and maybe this next week you've got more time with your family. Or maybe it's about certain times of the day or whatever the case might be. It's less about the, the days of the week, but more about... When you do have that time, are you seeking things that are above? Or are you just focused on being a hard worker, a good neighbor? Maybe you're not much of a reader, so you don't really crack open your Bible. Are you tired of others expecting more of you at church? Maybe you're serving too much. It's a good goal, but you're doing too many things. And so you get frustrated with others who aren't also pulling their weight. Stop something. That's the same coming from the same mouth that says, hey, can somebody do this? Say no, Pastor Matt, no, elder, no, ministry leader, I can't. Now, if you're not doing anything to serve in a regularly committed way at church, you need to do something. But if you're doing too much, pull back for your soul, for your soul. And I'll add to that and then I'm going to wrap up. I know I've gone long. I know it's warm. (laughs) Somebody said it is. Now you know you're hot. Some of you may not be serving and others are too willing to keep carrying more of the weight. Now, they need to step back, but some people need to step in. This is difficult because I don't want to make today, I don't want to make this series about rest, about the day of the week. I do want to make it about the fact that we need biblically patterned worship, biblically patterned rest. 
to be healthy, thriving Christians. You say, I don't need any rest. You're lying. No, I mean, you're lying and you're calling God a liar because God said rest. And if there's anybody who didn't need rest, it's God. And so if God rests to mark creation and God initiates a pattern of another day of rest to commemorate his resurrection, then we ought to follow in those steps. So if you need to take another day of the week to rest, take another day of the week to rest. I'd encourage you to catch up on the sermon if you're not able to be here Sunday. Not because of me. So that we can grow as a body, hearing the same message, growing together as a body of Christ. Here's the main thing I want to ask you to do as I close. What is the Lord impressing upon your heart this morning? Sometimes I said earlier, sometimes you can tell this by like magnets that you can't just push together by the strength of how quickly they jet to the other side. The Lord or someone places something on your mind or your heart and you quickly go the other way and say, no, that's not me. Really? The best way is to pray, Lord, search me and know me, test my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. You know me better than anyone. Lead me in the way everlasting. But I will tell you, you have to have time to rest, to tend to the soil of your soul as you focus on things that are above in order to rightly understand and hear from God's word, how he would lead you in that conversation. But remember that he's good and he's leading you toward what would help you to be healthy because that's who he is always.